Good evening. This week's parsha is Parsha's Pinchas. However, I want to begin uh, with saying to you that tonight is the York site. I am making this video Monday night, Parsha's Pinchas. And Monday night, going into Tuesday, is Tesvav Tammuz, the 15th day of Tammuz, the Yortzeit of the Orachayim HaKadosh. And three short things I want to say about him before we begin discussing this week's Parsha. The first thing is that the Baal Shem Tov said that if he were to meet the, the Orachayim HaKadosh, Mashiach would come, that he was a Bechina of Nefesh, and that the Orachayim HaKadosh was a Bechina of Ruach, and that the Chibur, just meeting and talking to each other, would cause Mashiach to come. And indeed, the Baal Shem Tov tried four different times to get to Eretzel to meet him, but it never happened. He understood that it was simply uh, an impossibility for for him to be able to. Now, the Urachayim HaKadosh, the two other things I want to tell you since it's his yard site tonight, is that there was a general in the Second World War and he was a Nazi, his name was Rommel, and he was like the head general conquering Europe, and then they went into North Africa, then to Egypt, and from there they wanted to conquer Eretz Yisrael and kill every Yid that was there. Um, on the yard side, right before, because it was June 30th, that he had that this was going on in 1942, uh, Rommel brought his army there and they were doing a surprise attack on Egypt. And from there they were going to go into Israel, as I said. And he... The... Rav Shlomka of Svil, who was the Tzadik Hador in Eretz Yisrael at the time, together with the Hoshatan Rebbe, who was a grandson of Rav Yisrael of Rishon, the Rishon Rebbe's grandson, two very big tzaddikim, they led 20,000 uh, Yidden in Eretz Yisrael to go on the yard site of the Orachayim HaKadosh to his kever and to beg and to cry and to fast and to do everything because it was imminent that he was going to cross over and he only wanted destruction. He wanted to wipe out every Yid that was there and he wanted to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Well, the night before he was to attack uh, so they went, and they were by the Orachem HaKadosh, and the Hoshat Rebbe said to his, the person standing next to him, everything is going to be fine, because I just saw the Shem Havaya, Yudke Vovke, over the kever of the Orachayim, and that was a message, don't worry. What could turn the events 
that they should be happy or safe was beyond them, but that's how they felt they had the Amuna. And a few hours later, there was a sandstorm that came, and it was impossible for them to attack because not only they couldn't see where they were going, the sand was destroying their weaponry. And he sent a message, he called to Hitler, directly, and explained what's going on. And Hitler said, I don't care what it is, you must go forward. But it was impossible. So Rommel took a plane and went to Hitler and told him that it was absolutely impossible to do it. Uh, and they waited another month, and then there was a rainstorm, and then the war was, uh, they, were, they had to move back. They couldn't undertake it. So this was a nes galui of the Orachayim HaKadosh, Zechusa Yogen Aleinu. And the other thing that I want to tell you is that when the Orachayim HaKadosh came to Eretz Yisrael, he only lived in Eretz Yisrael two and a half years. But when he came there, he was part of, he got a ride on a Arab caravan. And when they got through the desert, and when they got into the desert, the Orachim HaKadosh realized that Shabbos was coming. And he said that there was no way that he's going to travel on Shabbos. So the people said to him, listen, if we stay over here, it's a very dangerous area. And there's terrible robbery and thievery and people roaming around that we're putting ourselves up, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. We'll be robbed, we'll be killed. But the Archaim Makodur said, he's not going. And they decided, you want to stay? No problem. So they let him off the caravan with his things and there's two Gersos if it was with his things or without his things but anyway he got off the caravan and they began to travel and they're indeed in this area of the desert there were wild animals and suddenly a lion appeared in front of the Orachim Makada and it was sent Mena Shemaim to protect him. How do we know that? Because we see what happened. That every wild animal that came to attack, they saw the lion. He was like the king of the forest. They turned around and they didn't touch the Orachayim HaKadosh. And when Shabbos was over, the lion bent over and the Orachayim HaKadosh, he understood it was a message to get on the lion and that he would take him where he had to go. And the lion caught up with the caravan and the Orachayim HaKadosh got back on the caravan. So you see, unbelievable, I mean, the Orachayim HaKadosh was 
the biggest of the big, and tonight is his Yorzeit Zahuso Yogain Oleinu. Now, I want to say to you that the in two days, on Thursday, we have the beginning of the three weeks. And the Arizal told us that Thomas and half of Og are Dinim, Gevura. And because of that, and it's under the umbrella of a lack of mazel, that's how the things were able to happen to Klal Yisrael. Number one on Shiva Thomas, which was exactly 40 days after they had been by Harsinai, they made the angle and the luchos were broken. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he saw the eagle and he broke the luchos right then and there. Now, the Tomid Shalbein Harbayim, we know that every single day in the Beis Hamikdash, they brought a carbon in the morning and in the afternoon. And our mincha and our chakras correspond to those two carbonos. And they brought two sheep, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And they, in the first place of Migdosh, the enemy succeeded in stopping that on tests. Tammuz, the ninth day of Tammuz. In the second base of Mikdash, they succeeded in stopping it on Shiva Osir Tammuz. And the Chachamim were considering making a fast day for each. But then they decided it was too hard of a decree to impose on Klal Yisrael that fasting twice in a week's time was too much, so they only picked the second because the destruction of the second, even though the first place on Migdash was much more glorious and much more, many more Nisim and the Flaos, and you had the Oren Kodesh, which he didn't have in the second place on Migdash, and many other things. But since it was the base on Migdash which they lost and put us into Golos, for over 2,000 years. So therefore they decreed, they gave a gezeira, a halacha, that we have to fast shiva or and not test also, but just then. But in addition, Apostomus, the Russia, he burned a Torah, a sacred Torah in front of the whole Klal Yisrael, he put an idol into the Heichel, and the and Shiva Sabatamis, the, the walls of Yerushalayim were breached. So there were five things that happened on Shiva Sabatamis. We fast, it's the third most important fast on our calendar. First Yom Kippur, which is a Diorisa, then uh, Tisha B'Av, and then comes Shiva Asur B'tamis. So it's a very important, it's a tough fast because it's long. Even though we don't start 24 hours like we do Yom Kippur or Tisha B'av, it's just from the morning 
but the day is very, very long. It's not like a Sarabatavis that we finish a fast 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon. Here it goes till 9.30 at night. And it's hot outside, so it's not an easy fast. But the Chassam Sofer said that when Mashiach will come, Tisha B'Av will be the first day of Yom Tif, and the whole year will be Cholomoyed, and the Achron Shal Yom Tif will be Shiva Osir B'Tamiz. And the Navi Zechariah said that Yehavchu Yomim Elu L'Sosonu L'Simcha, that these days will become days of Yom Tif, days of celebration, and that we will be able to enjoy uh, the miyagon l'simcha, that they will go from all the days of tsaris to the days of simcha and moadim, which would happen quickly in our lives. So maybe we wouldn't have to fast this tissue. There's enough going on in the world that it could happen any second. Now, Parshas Pinchas is, is usually is the first seder, the first Parsha of the three weeks. And we lane the sedra, which begins as a takeoff from our last sedra. Because Bilaam was commissioned by Bullock to curse the Jews and to destroy them. And it didn't work, Baruch Hashem. And there was great frustration by Bilaam and by Bullock. And Bullock like, sent them off in a fury. So Bilaam said to him at the end of our last sedra in the sedra of Bullock, that I know I didn't succeed, but I want to give you some advice that may be useful. Their Rabbana Shalom, their God, hates immorality. And he hates immorality to a point that that could work against them. So it says, as you look in last week's Parsha, that Bullock brought the girls of Midian to intermingle with the Yidden and they had tents set up that they could be immoral and every girl had with her a little idol and as the Medrash says and Rashi brings it and as they went into the tent they said before we do anything you must bow down to this idol and the men were so thirsty for the union, the intimacy, that they bowed down to the idol, and then they did whatever they did. So that is the backdrop, and and the prince of Shevet Shimon, Zimri ben Solo, and Cosby Basur publicly defied the Torah and the Rabbana Shalom and publicly demonstrated immorality. And Pinchas 
stood up and there were many miracles because as the Medrash says that the spear that he took elongated it went from a certain length to like 10 times the length so it should hit them and it killed both Zimri and Cosby on the spot when it hit them but there were 24,000 Yidden that never fell and died in this plague because of this terrible Avera that they did. So that was Bilaam's parting advice to Balak, and he took him up and unfortunately it succeeded very terribly for Claudius' Now, as we see in the beginning of the Parsha, this week's Parsha, Pinchas, that Pinchas ben Elozer ben Aaron HaKoyen, Heishev es Hamasi, Me'al b'nei Yisrael, Bekano es Kenasi, V'lochilisi es b'nei Yisrael, Bekinasi, that he really calmed, so to speak, the Rebbein down, that he took action that the Rebbein was very happy with. We see, because Aaron and Elazar, his son, were destined to be Kohanim. No one else was given Kohanim, which means the grandchildren of Aaron were not Kohanim. It was only given to Aaron, and it was given to Elazar, his son. When this story happened, the Rebbein said, Pinchas, you took on for my covet? Kahuna will continue with you as a grandson till Mashiach comes. Forever. You have Kahuna. That's a gift I'm giving you. And a Barisi Shalom, the covenant of peacemaking. Now, if you really think into it, you know, if you wanted to give him the Nobel Prize for kahuna or for taking an extreme step in kanaos, then we could understand that for that he should be rewarded. But to say that he gets the breezy shalom, there was an uproar afterwards. They came and they said, this guy? who is a grandson of Yisrael, because Elazar, the son of our, his wife was the daughter of Yisrael. So these rabble-rousers said, I mean, he's the grandson, Pinchas is the grandson of Aaron, but he's also the grandson of Yisrael. And Yisrael, who went and fattened uh, eagles and and uh, goats, goats for Avodazara. He was an Ivan Avodazara. He went and had the audacity to go kill a Nasi, be Israel, a prince. Zimri, what kind of a chutzpah did he have? So there was trouble. But I could have because Mephorshim explained. It doesn't mean 
like a teich. Aaron was an oyev shalom, which means he ran off after peacemaking, sweet-talking, pacifying, but he was a roidev shalom. And some teich, and some of fortune, roidev shalom, he chased away shalom. Because sometimes when the right thing was not shalom, but it was to take a stand and do the right thing, that is what he did. And that is why he was zoichet to the mantle of glory of Parisi shalom. Even though uh, ostensibly it would look like he, he caused an uproar. He didn't bring shalom, they were angry at him. But that's the true meaning of shalom. And that's for every rov and every parent, as I say to you often. You cannot take the popular position when you know that it's not the right position. Yes, if you took the popular position, you'd be the greatest rabbi and the nicest guy, and you would be all of that. But you wouldn't be doing the right thing. Pinchas over here did what he had to do because it was the right thing to do. Now, it has a lot of gedorim. That means when a kanoi, when even Moshe Rabbeinu forgot the halacha, that kanoi and pogim both, that if you want on the spot, you can't go ask Shilas. That's not called kanos. But kanoi and pogim both means that you take action on the spot and you daven that you're doing the right thing. That is the kanos, and that is the proper Palpidin, the thing that you're allowed to do when you are in a position of wanting to take action but making sure that it's the right thing, you sometimes have no support from a community, you don't have a psak from a rav, and you take the action. And that's why it's a very rare and remarkable set of circumstances that allow a person to do this type of kanos. Now, we know that Pinchas is a Leo. So it says in Zoyra Kadosh, and Rizal talks about it. And we know that he was Zoycha not only to the kahuna and the brisi shalom, but to be the one to be mevaser and come as a leo anavi to tell Klal Yisrael that Mashiach has arrived when it's the proper time to announce his arrival. And it says that he went up to Shemayim. Now, we know there's no Gashmias in Shemayim. And indeed, the Zohar Kodesh says that when he went up in his body, the second he got to, er- to Shemayim, he was transformed to complete Ruchmias, because Gashmias cannot go into Shemayim. As the Zohar Kodesh in Parshas Lech Lecha says, that on Rosh Hashanah, when a person davens, he's, he is allowed to raise his voice a little in supplication, like a person who's begging 
for a good decree, so we'll express ourselves. But says the Zerah Kodesh, that's for the whole davening, but it's not for Shemana Esrei. Because if anybody else can hear even a word from us, it's Megashim the Shemana Esrei, and it never goes into Shemayim. It's left down here. So these people who are whispering out loud or think that they're allowed to do it, and there's five people around who hear every word that they're saying, or even two words of what they're saying, they took their Shemana Esrei and they left it right down here in Olam Hazet. So says the Orach, the, the Zoyer Kadosh, and the Orach HaShokhan, who doesn't quote the Zoyer usually, writes in his Shulchan Aruch and Hilchus Rosh Hashanah when it talks about davening and how to daven, mentions this Zoyer HaKadosh. That you can yagbiya kolo, you can pick up your voices, avolchas v'shalom by Shemana Esrei. Because if anyone hears what you're saying, it's over. You had a whole Shemana Esrei of Rosh Hashanah that went nowhere. It stayed right down here. Now, when we began Sefer Bamidbor, I mentioned to you then that the Gemara and then Medrash is referred to as the Sefer Hapikudim, the Sefer, the Book of Counting. And even in English, when it says Bamidbor, they translate it numbers. They don't translate it desert, like the word Midbor means, but they say numbers because it's the only safer that there were two countings in it. That means in Bereshus and Parshas Vayigash, the family before they went down to Mitzrayim, everyone is listed, and the number, 70. Then in Parshas Vayera again, but it was once in Bereshus and once in Shemos. Not to, not, not, uh, they were not counted in Vayikra, but in Bamidbar twice, when they just came to the desert. And now, Parshas Pentecost, when they were getting ready to go into Eretz Yisrael at the end of the 40 years. So, we see, though, that Yidin are above rhyme and reason. That means when people think of a plan and a strategy and they shape their itinerary and their agenda, we do it to the best of our human ability because we're human beings with human faculties, a brain, a heart, a, a mouth, eyes. But call yourselves above any chesboinus. And Chazal pointed out, as the Medrash says, that Binyamin was the eighth largest shaven. And there were, Binyamin had ten sons, yet he was only 46,600 in number. And Don, who only had one son who was handicapped, he had almost 70,000. 
Yehuda had more than 70,000. They were the largest shaved. But the second largest was shaved done. Now, anyone would have been asked when they all had their children, well, Don only has a child and he's a handicapped. He'll be probably the smallest shaved. And Binyamin had 10 sons. He'll be from the biggest. He was from the smallest. And, that, and the Mepharshim say, to show you there's no rhyme and reason with Klal Yisrael. You can think there's a disaster happening, and from that can come out the biggest Yeshua for Klal Yisrael. As we see many, many times in Tanakh, that we cannot apply our human limitations and seichel to the thinking of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing. It's a different world, it's a different, it's a Rabbanishalot. Pure spiritual, who knows everything from the beginning to the end, what will be, what won't be. And we go along, and that's why the Pasuk says, Rabos Machshavos Pelev Ish, that there are many plans and thinking processes which people have, but Vatsas Hashem, he's But it's really the bottom line of what the Rabbanishlam wants that will end up happening. So in the second counting, Chazal are very quick to point out that don't look at Klal Yisrael with considerations like that. Now, another thing. The second thing I want to say to you about the naming and the genealogy is that if you look in Sefer Voracious in Vayigash, it says that Yisachar had four sons. And one of them was Yov. And the Medrash says that Yov came to his father Yisachar and said, what did you do to me? You gave me a name of an Avodah an idol? There's a famous idol called Yov, and that's what you named me? So Yisachar said, you're right. And his original name had two shins. If you listen to the Balkoire in Vayetze when he was born, he's called Yisachar. But the mentor says after Yov, his son came with such a taina to him. So... He said, you're right, and he took one of the shins and put it in his, into Yov's name. And that's why the very next time that he's listed and mentioned in Vo'era in Shemos, the sons are listed, and it doesn't say Yov, it says Yoshuv, because the shin was put in. And that's why the Balkoira, every time after that, does not pronounce his name, Yisoschar, like when he was born, but it's pronounced Yisachar, just one sin or shin, uh, as the letter is. And the lesson to us with the haste of how fast Yisachar complied with his son's request teaches us that when we have students, you know, the worst thing for a parent quite often, or a teacher, is to admit he made a mistake. You know, no one wants to publicly have to back down and look like he didn't know what he was doing or talking about 
And he has to admit a mistake, but we learned from Yisosfer that when it came to something that his son was correct about in criticizing and questioning him, immediately he took action. He didn't debate, he didn't try to sweep it under the carpet, he didn't immediately look for a rationalization as many people will right away, the defense mechanism kicks in. Oh, well, I only did it because of that. He wasn't doing it because of this and that. He's only trying to cover up the fact that he made a mistake. But somebody who's big enough, independent enough, and secure enough with himself that he could say, yes, no, you have an excellent point. I'm sorry for it or let's do this and that to correct what the situation is, shows greatness, not weakness. Strength comes from security and independence. And that independence and security allows a person to tread fairly and honestly on whatever his actions were. Now, We know that as the Maram brings a Medrash, that the Medrash, and I quoted around a year ago this Medrash to you, but allow me to say it because it's always apropos, and I think it's very useful in our daily lives to recognize the message of this Medrash. And that is that the morale quotes this medrash and talks a long, a long time about it. I mentioned before that there was a Tomit Shel Shachar and a Tomit Shel Bein Bo'arbayim. That every day from the day that they opened the Mishkan and began the Korbanos, there was a Korban Tomit Shel Shachar and Tamit Shalbein Bo'arbayim. There are two places in Hamisha Chumshei Torah that talk about this. One place is in Parshas Tetzaveh, and the other place is our Parsha, Parshas Pinchas. And it happens to be the reading that we read every Rosh Chodesh and Shul, when we take out a Sefer Torah for Kriyas Torah. On Rosh Chodesh, we talk about the Tomet Shel Shachar and the Tomet Shel Bein Bayim. Now, in, there's one difference in the Pesukim. One place in Tetzaveh, it says, Es HaKeves Echod Ta'aseh In Parshas Pinchas, our Sedra, it says, Es HaKeves Ho Echod. And all the Two or three psukim are the same, except for that one hey in front of the word echad, and it's pronounced ha echad in our sedra. So Reb Chaim Briska pointed out that why is there this difference? It is because to teach us a halacha, and he said that this indeed is the halacha, that if at any given day 
in the history of the Mishkan, the two Bote Migdash, and those 1,100 years, if ever they had in a given day a, they had a problem with getting one of the sheep. Let's say it was the morning and they couldn't get a proper sheep. Uh, and as a matter of fact, when they came and they circled Yerushalayim, it says that the Kayhanim, they were able to have the fortitude to hold off the Roman army. But they needed the two sheep for the Tamit Shal Shadr and Tamit Shal Ben Abayim. And they lowered two buckets of gold pieces, millions of dollars, every day over the wall down to the Romans that they should send them up two sheep so that they should have the Tamit Shal Shachar and Tamit Shal Ben Abayim. Until at the end, the Romans were so frustrated that they sent up two pigs that they, of course, couldn't use for it. So that's when the real trouble began. But but the point being that if they didn't have one, let's say the shachar, the morning they didn't have it, did that mean that they couldn't bring the afternoon? So the Allah is they could bring the other one without the second, without its mate from the afternoon or morning. But said the Briskarov, Reb Chaim Briskarov, his father, Briskarov's father, um, there was one exception, and that's what we learn up from this hay, that if the first day in the Mishkan when they brought the Karbonos, if they didn't have one for the morning and afternoon, you could not bring either. And he explained the Chazal because beginnings have to be perfect. That the way to do it was to have one in the morning and one in the afternoon. But if you didn't have, so throughout the 1100 years, it was no problem. You brought one without the other, but not the first day. Because we are taught that we have to mold and shape that which we do to set it in cement, and at least the path for correct posture should be exactly like the halacha is. And I called it then constancy and consistency, that it's gotta be consistent with the beginning. That has to be our goal. Maybe there's an emergency, it didn't happen, but. We have we learn from the first day that if it's not perfect, we don't bring it. Because we have to strive for perfection. And that has to be underscored and accentuated in everything we do. A couple gets married and they say, Well, at some point, you know, after we get our dining room set and we're going to this and that, we'll have a guest for Shabbos. That couple will have difficulty in instituting Hachnasus Orchem in their house. Because if they didn't start off on the right foot of an invite, inviting a guest and making that a priority, and making that like having delicious gefilte fish or having baked homemade challahs that are priorities for Shabbos, but having a guest was not a priority, so they'll have occasional guests. 
but they're not going to have it the way it should be done because that brings tremendous bracha to households when they do it in a fashion that sets the pace. If in a household they put Nekovasser by their bed and they don't step foot out of the bed in the morning, then the Zoyar Kurdish and Parshish McCain says somebody who steps, even though you're allowed to, the whole house is like Daladamas, like if someone doesn't carry in the Arab, but in this house he could carry because that's considered all Daladamas. But the Zoyar Kurdish says, I'll pick up all, even though the Allah, it's okay. But I'll pick up Allah, he cannot have Hatzlocha that day. If he put his foot on the ground and didn't wash Negelwasser first, then he'll have an uphill battle to have any success in his doings, his achievements of that day. So says the holy Zohar. So we, uh, if a husband and wife get married, they right away put Negelwasser next to bed, they're going to have it for the next 80 years as long as they're alive, as long as they're married. But if they didn't do it, and they say, well, Allah, you could just go into the bathroom or to the kitchen and wash. So they're allowed to do it, but we feel sorry for them because the Zayar Kodesh says that with the Tumah, you step foot on the ground, so you're already enabling the forces of negativity to attack you and attach themselves to you. So a little bit effort of a minute or two to go take the court and fill it up and put it next to the bed, a person should certainly push himself to do that in his daily activity. So that's what the Reb Chaim Briska said about Es HaKeves Echota Seva Boker, Es HaKeves Hasheni, and the other parsha Es HaKeves Ho'echot, that beginnings have to be on the right foot, the right pace, and the right setting. Now we have, and by the way, the Maral brought a, on this passage, he brought a medrash that says, now some say it was Rabbi Lazar ben Aruch, the Tana, and some say it was Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, that they had Talmidim, and they asked the Talmidim, which Pasuk in the Torah do you think is the most important, the most outstanding, the cementing factor of Klal Yisrael? So, Either Rabbi Lazar ben Aruch or Rabbi Yehuda Anasi asked Ben Zoma, their Talmud, and he answered and said, I think that Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, is, if I had to pick one Pasuk, that is the single most unifying and important Pasuk in the Torah. And then Ben Nanus was asked, and he said, Because if you don't truly love another Jew, then you truly don't love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That means the essence of every Jew is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if you don't have any love for him or another Jew, 
You're just worried about yourself and what you need and what you want and what this and what that. But the other is, yeah, when I'm in a convenient moment or I have the frame of mind or I have the money or I have the, yeah, then I'll be friendly to the Jew. Then there's a lack of, that's what Ben Nana said. And then they came to Ben Pasi. And Ben Pasi said, if I had to choose one Pasik, it is as hakeves boker. Our Pasik of the Tamid Shal Shachar and Tamid Shal Benhor Abayim Mincha. So, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yudanasi heard the three Talmidim, what they said. And he said, I'll tell you, I think that Ben Pazi is right. Now, if we went around to a thousand Jews in a shul and asked them, which Pasuk do you think is the most important? Some would say Shema Yisrael, and some would say But I don't think anyone would say So the explanation the Mephorshim say is that a yid, if he wants to grow, has to establish into the roots of what he's doing consistency and constancy. Because if he, in an inspired moment, says, oh, I'm going to learn Mishnayis every day for 30 days, and then I'm going to increase it for not one Mishnah, but to two and to three. If he does it every day, it'll be beautiful and he's growing. But if he suddenly goes on vacation and he had to wait three hours in the airport and he was too tired to the, and he missed six days of learning Mishnayis every day, he already broke the chain and it's going to be very, very hard to get back on the, the motion of being able to move forward with the learning of Mishnah the same way he did before. Now maybe he'll come back to it in two days here, and two, but he already broke the chain. So the point being is that we have to try little by little to grow and to fortify that which we have to do every day. But when we add something to make sure it's fortified and it is part and parcel of our daily activity that we make up that we won't go to sleep or go watch a video for an hour before we do what we've committed to in our ruchnias. Even if the video is a very good video, that video is not in place of learning or doing chesed. It's something extra, and a person is allowed to relax a little bit. So when they relax a little bit, that's a normal thing to catch your breath. But under that umbrella of catching your breath and feeling justified and that it's nothing, no, we have to be on guard to how much do we let go by when we're under this umbrella of, well, I'm a human being, I gotta take a vacation. You know, there's some people who never miss a minion, and then they go on vacation for two weeks, and out of the minyanum, the 42 or 44 minyanum that you have in two weeks, 
that they suddenly missed 15 million. Well, I was in the airport, the plane was late, this, that. I'm not being negative with vacations. But if the minion is so important, then before he travels, he'll check out where every minion is and touch the cities where he's coming to, when does their shul daven, and build his travel plans that just like he needs his ticket or his passport, or he needs a sandwich, he needs food on his travels and journeys, so too he shouldn't miss the minion. If the minion is part and parcel of his ruchnias backbone in what he does. Now, in the Parsha, in Pinchas, right after it talks about the Tomet Shel Shachman, the Tomet Shel Beno Arbayim, it delves, it makes, it, the Pasuk says, Olas Tomid, Poasuya Bahar Sinai, that it talks about the oil that we did in Har Sinai, the Mephoshans, where did this Pasuk fly in here? The, the oil that we brought when we were by Har Sinai. So they say that the reason is because the, the parsha was talking about the Tamat Shel Shachar, Tamat Shel Benah, which means all the avoida of the Beis HaMikdosh. Link yourself to Har Sinai and you'll never veer leftward or rightward off the derev if you realize you're linked to Har Sinai. And that's why the Pusik comes in right there, the Mephorshim says. It makes a reference to the Oilas Tomato Asuya Bahar Sinai. Now, I want to share with you the Benos Tzolofka. We know that there were five spinsters. The youngest one was over 40. And according to the Gemara, Many held that Tzolofka, their father, was a tzaddik. He saw the second Shabbos after they left Mitzrayim that they didn't know halachas and Shabbos. He says, I'm going to take one halacha about Shabbos, and even if it cost me my life, so that Klal Yisrael should know, and he took and he started chopping wood. And even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what to do with him, because he was amazed chopping wood on Shabbos. So the Gemara says he was only doing that so that the people should have to judge him and he probably will be killed, but they'll then know the halacha. So he did it just so that they should learn the halacha. He wasn't the Machal Shabbos, but he did something which was Chil Shabbos to teach the people. But anyway, he left over five daughters and no sons. And they came before Moshe Rabbeinu, they stepped forward, and they said, our father died. Um, and that's what the whole discussion of the Gemara is, whether he was killed because of this or for that. Uh, and there were no sons. He didn't leave over sons. And we know that a son, Yarshins, that a son inherits. But technically, the girls don't. Um, and of course, we know today that many people leave over a stipulation that it should be equal, the sons, the daughters, whatever they get, and it should. Um, and, and that's how many families, you know, do it to avoid the jealousies and the fighting and the everything. So they came before Moshe Rabbeinu, 
And they said, why shouldn't we be able to keep the land that my father had as a portion in Eretz Yisrael? He has no son, so what does that mean? That we're losing everything, we, we won't have a piece of land? So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, let me ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu what the halacha is, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said they're right, and they should get, and so the question asked by Mephoshim, Moshe Rabbeinu taught the whole Torah, and he went over it and reviewed it over and over with Kal Yisrael. Why by this halacha did he have to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu? He didn't know the halacha, all the other halachas he knew. Like the Gemara says that the day he was Nifter on Zion Naga, they forgot 3,000 halachas because he was like the cement that held it all together. So how could it be that he didn't know the answer to this halacha? So the Mepharshim say is because when the girls stepped forward, they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, the who lo hoya ba'adas korach, uvanim lo hoyu lo. They said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, he died, left over no sons, and he wasn't part of the rebellion against you with Korach. Moshe Rabbeinu felt that was already bribery in a certain sense, what they said. They were trying to sugarcoat to make him happy. Oh, what did that have to do with their inheritance? If they want land in there and so they didn't want land. What do you mean, Mitch? Oh, by the way, he wasn't against you in Eretz Yisrael about, uh, about uh, Korach, the leadership role and everything that was an issue. He never was against you. Those words, never against you, felt that he was compromised and he had to turn to Hashem. He himself was not allowed to paskin the halacha which means we have to be very sensitive to what influences we have done. Some people, the first thing they do is they compliment you. And a compliment is always nice to hear, but it sometimes puts shades on our glasses that were already tipped. I mean, the person talked about how great we are and how this, then they come in for the killing, for whatever the issue is. We have to make sure that when we have a situation before us, that there's tzedek, there's fairness, there's worthiness, there's what's proper, and we can't be swayed by the person's fame or wealth or, or fancy speaking or anything in our judgment of another situation or a person. And the last thing that I want to say to you is that right after the story with Benos Tzolofchad, Moshe Rabbeinu thought, he said to Hashem, we have to appoint someone, I'm not going to be around much longer. So we have to appoint someone to take over. And he really had in mind his children. And according to one opinion, he had Pinchas um, and... Rashi points out that he said, Yifkod Hashem Elokei Ruchos. What did he mean by Elokei Ruchos? 
that every person has a different personality and every person has a different opinion. Now a leader could wash his hands and say, oh, that guy thinks so crazy. I mean, he voices his opinion so out of kilter, so out of so, it's so bad. But a rub, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said, okay, Rufus, and Rashi quotes it, and said he has to be shava, that every person is not shava b'shava, no one is equal in opinion and feels exactly the same way another person, but we have to be tolerant. And that's the word Rashi is soivel, called ish ish. When a rav has a hundred people davening there and he's got 60 different opinions, he could sway to the ones that he feels most comfortable with. The others he could just leave at the wayside. Because he feels, oh, they're so nuts, listen to how they think about this and about that. But a person, a rav who wants to be effective and an honest, honest leader for his flock, he has to be able to be soyful all the different opinions and all the different approaches. And that doesn't mean he has to agree, but he has to be able to listen and to sincerely appreciate that person's point of view, even if he's 180% diametrically opposed to whatever the guy is saying. But his reaction and his attitude and his treatment of the person will be enhanced if he can underscore and bring out the tolerance in him to have others who even think differently and opposite what his position may be and handle them under that umbrella of tolerance and be soyful called echad have a easy fast shiva asim betamis and yehavchu yamim elu lemoyadim ulasimcha.